Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day and welcome to the New Investing third quarter 2020 earnings call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. Mike Kavanaugh, Managing Director of Pacific. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Anita. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today. Earlier today, NeoVast Inc. released financial results for the quarter ended September 30, 2020. The release is currently available on the investor section of the company's website at www.neovast.com backslash investors. Fred Cohen, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Chris Clark, Chief Financial Officer will host this afternoon's call. Before we get started, I would like to remind everyone that management will be making statements during the call that include forward-looking statements within the meaning of applicable security laws, which are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 and Canadian securities laws. Any statements contained in this call that are not statements of historical facts should be deemed to be forward-looking statements. All forward-looking statements, including without limitation, are examination of historical operating trends, prospects for regulatory approvals, expectations regarding coverage decisions, pricing and enrollment matters, and our future, future financial expectations and results, are based upon current estimates and various assumptions. Words such as effect, Outlook, will, should, continue, strategy, potential, intend, try, believe, plan, and similar words are expressions uh, are meant to identify forward-looking statements. These statements involve material risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those anticipated or implied by these forward-looking statements. Accordingly, we should not place undue reliance on these statements. For more information on risks and uncertainties related to these forward-looking statements, please refer to the cautionary statement regarding forward-looking statements and risk factors section of NeoVasc's annual report on Form 20F and the discussion in NeoVasc's MDNA, which are available on Edgar and SIGO. The information provided in this conference call speaks only to the live broadcast today, November 5, 2020. NeoVast disclaims any intention or obligation except as required by law to update or revise any information, financial projections, or other forward-looking statements, whether because of new information, future events, or otherwise. I will now turn uh, the call over to Fred. Thank you, Mike, and good afternoon, everyone. We are encouraged by the strong reducer revenue quarter the NEOVAT team delivered in Q3. Despite the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic, despite the difficulty patients who are experiencing visiting their healthcare providers, we achieved 25% worldwide revenue growth, 50% reducer implant growth, 
and even more encouraging, 100% inflant growth in the important Dutch countries, which consist of Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. These countries are a cornerstone of the reducer franchise, given the strong margin our direct sales force provides in Germany, and among the leading countries driving the growth and acceptance of reducer in the European Union. As we have said before, severe refractory angina is a debilitating disease with significant quality of life impact that are not easy to tolerate by patients, even in the midst of the current pandemic. We believe the strong Q3 performance is indicative of reducers' market value and potential. Related to Q4, we are less optimistic because of the severe flare-up of the COVID-19 virus and the emerging renewed lockdowns in almost every large European market. We believe this to have a significant negative impact on our Q4 results. From a corporate perspective, we also continue the important work of cleaning up and otherwise strengthening the capital structure with multiple transactions throughout the quarter. We utilized approximately $5 million in proceeds from Warren, exercised by a key shareholder, Struel Medical Group, in July and August to retire convertible debt issued in May of 2019. The money was used to pay down principal, accrued interest, and small prepayment penalties. We capped off our financing activities in August with a $12.6 million registered direct offering of shares priced at the market, which netted $11.3 million after fees. Neovest now has adequate cash on hand to fund operations through March 2021 and at the same time reduce the company's debt. This was truly outstanding work by our team, and I want to reiterate that this would not have been possible if investors did not recognize the value of our product assets. I want to take this opportunity to thank our investors once again for their continued support. <clears throat> Although it occurred after the third quarter closed, I would now like to address the results of the FDA Circulatory Systems Devices panel meeting, which took place on October 27, regarding the pre-market approval application known as a PMA, which we submitted for reducer in late December of 2019. The panel voted 14 to 4 in favor that the reducer is safe when used as intended and voted 1 to 17 against on the issue of a reasonable assurance of effectiveness. The third vote was 3 to 13 against, two abstained on whether the relative benefits outweigh the relative risk. While we are obviously disappointed in the outcome from the panel, I would like to review some of the history as we have previously disclosed. One, 
the FDA granted the use of grade two device designation. Two, the FDA granted our request for an advisory panel meeting. Three, NeoVac submitted a considerable pre-market data set that consisted of a sham-controlled, double-blind, randomized study of 104 patients. The study results were published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Coursera was one of the first sham-controlled clinical studies in interventional cardiology and actually met its primary endpoint without any missing data for the primary endpoint in a very difficult patient population to study. We also submitted clinical data from our reducer one observational study with over 200 enrolled patients that we believe confirms the effect seen in Coursera with current follow-up up to five years. We also provided follow-up data on first-in-human patients out to 12 years. Additionally, we submitted considerable published real-world experience from investigator-initiated studies that we felt further confirmed the results seen in Coursera. Four, the company committed to conduct a robust post-market sham-controlled study. Going into the panel meeting, we anticipated that the totality of data would be seriously considered by the panel, particularly considering the context of the number of FDA guidance documents and the limited treatment options for the refractory angina patient population. There also were specific details of relevant FDA guidance documents that we believe supported the path we took to submitting the PMA. A, from December 2018, Breakthrough Devices Program, I quote, as with all devices subject to a PMA, Breakthrough Devices subject to a PMA must still meet the statutory standard of reasonable assurance of safety and effectiveness at the time of approval. For PMAs designated as breakthrough devices, FDA intends to use timely post-market data collection when scientifically appropriate to facilitate expedited and efficient development and review of a device. B, from August 2019, consideration of uncertainty in making benefit-risk determinations in medical device, pre-market approvals, de novo classification, and humanitarian device exemptions. Example 1A from this guidance discusses a breakthrough device intended to treat a treatment-resistant condition. In that example, they discuss three scenarios of uncertainty. The greater the level of uncertainty, the greater the reliance on post-market data collection. As I stated earlier, we did submit, submit a robust post-market study for consideration. C, from August 2019, factors to consider when making benefit-risk determinations in medical devices, 
free market approval and global classification, uncertainty, patient perspective, availability of alternatives, risk mitigation, novel technology addressing unmet medical needs. And finally, D, from April 2015, balancing pre-market and post-market data collection for devices subject to pre-market approval. I quote, getting the right balance between pre-market and post-market data collection, specifically where appropriate, a greater reliance on post-market collection, including real-world data collection, can reduce the extent of pre-market data collection and directly impact when patients will have access to this high-quality, safe, and effective medical devices. Taking into consideration all these guidance documents and the volume of data we had, especially given the focus of the program to provide more timely access of innovative medical devices for patients with unmet needs, we choose to submit the PMA in December of 2019 with a request for an advisory panel meeting. We believe that the clinical data presented would support our position that the reducer has a reasonable assurance of safety and effectiveness and the benefits clearly outweigh the risk in this no-option patient population. Again, we are disappointed in the panel's vote. We must await FDA's decision on the PMA, and we are not hopeful about the approval of the reducer at this point in time, given the panel's recommendation. But I want to assure you that we are working on all available options to the company to move forward from here. We will update you on any further development as soon as possible. Late in the third quarter, we also announced that the 300 patients in Germany had been treated with the reducer. This is an important milestone and demonstrates the continued acceptance and penetration into the German cardiovascular market. It is gratifying to see the increasing acceptance of our unique device and that it provides a new avenue of treatment for those suffering from a painful disease that is not responding to traditional treatments. Moreover, it is noteworthy that the healthcare professionals using Reducer in Germany and elsewhere are pleased with the results they have seen so far themselves in treating their patients, and importantly, those results are consistent with the published data. The majority of patients implanted with Reducer in Europe are able to lead more active lives, and for many, it has resulted in life-changing improvements. While the reducer has been front and center recently, we also continue to make great progress on our chiromicral valve replacement program. We are advancing our regulatory submission for the Chera TA transapical mitral valve replacement system, targeting a European CE mark approval under the Medical Device Directive. The review of the NeoVax Chera TA submission is ongoing. We have filed much additional information 
and answered many questions from the viewers at the notified body. And while we are encouraged with the, with the progress to date, we are still not done with the review. Expect many more questions from reviewers. There's many more answers and results to be submitted. The company is targeting a potential approval decision by the European Notified Body for Terra TA in the first half of 2021. We have already stated in the past that due to COVID-19 travel restrictions, enrollment in the Terra 2 is temporarily on hold. The Terra TF, Transfemoral Transceptal Microvalve Replacement Program, is approaching important animal implants during Q4, which, if successful, could lead to first in human implants in the first half of 2021. This timing is delayed from our original projections and primarily a result of COVID-19 challenges. The company is encouraged by the positive feedback it has received on the device from our medical executive committee. Most notably, physicians are supportive of the system's low profile, device recapturability, and unique D-shaped implant design that set it apart from competitive offerings in development. We continue to believe in the potential of Terra TS to expand the size of the market and be more broadly applicable than competitive systems under development and our own transapical Terra system. Overall, we are pleased with the third quarter, although disappointed in the outcome of the recent FDA panel meeting. In the third quarter, we achieved strong reduced implant and revenue growth and reached the 300 patient milestone in Germany. We continue to advance the Terra TA and Terra TF devices and are targeting a decision by the European Notified Body on our CEMARC application for Terra TA in the first half of 2021. We also made progress in solidifying Neovast capital structure and operations are now funded through the first quarter of 2021. I will now turn the call over to Chris to discuss our financial results. Thank you, Fred. We are pleased with our top line recovery in the third quarter of 2020, following the impact of COVID-19 in the second quarter. However, we believe the increase in restrictions in Europe at the start of the fourth quarter could severely impact our fourth quarter and overall annual revenue performance. Revenues for the third quarter of 2020 were $626,000 compared to revenues of $500,000 for the same period in 2019, an increase of 25% as orders returned to our pre-COVID-19 target levels for the period. The cost of goods sold in the third quarter of 2020 was $150,000 compared to $138,000 for the same period in 2019 and the gross margin was 76% compared to 72% for the prior period. The reducer continues to post consistent margins in the mid-70% range, but we believe this could be substantially improved with the sufficient resources to focus on cost optimization within the supply chain. Total expenses for the third quarter were $10.6 million, compared to $7.4 million for the same period in 2019. 
representing a year-over-year increase of 45% or $3.3 million. General administrative expenses for the quarter were $4.6 million, compared with $2.2 million a year ago, an increase of $2.4 million, principally driven by a $1.9 million increase in legal expenses incurred in financing activities, and by a $300,000 increase in non-cash employee-related expenses as we issued share-based incentives to all staff. Product development and clinical trial expenses were $5.5 million compared with $4.8 million for the same quarter of 2019, an increase of $700,000, principally driven by an increase in development costs and headcount expense for the reducer MTR as we pursued three regulatory or development pathways for our products, each approaching a critical inflection point in the coming quarters. The operating loss and comprehensive loss for the third quarter of 2020 were $10.2 million and $10.4 million respectively, or $0.51 cents basic and valuated loss per share, as compared with $7 million and $6.6 million respectively, or $0.83 cents basic and valuated loss per share for the same period in 2019. Near-best finances, operations, and capital expenditures with cash generated from operations and through equity and debt financings. The company had approximately $14 million in cash and cash equivalents on September 30, 2020. The company expects that it will have sufficient cash on hand to sustain operations until March 2021 at the current burn rate. Given the current nature of the market for near vast shares due to the impact of the outcome of the FDA panel meeting, the company can give no assurance that it will be able to obtain the additional funds needed on terms agreeable to the company or at all. As of today's date, the company has 22.6 million common shares issued in outstanding and a fully guaranteed share count of 38.7 million shares. We are fully reviewing all our operational and strategic options for the rest of this year and into 2021. And we look forward to updating the market as we determine the best path forward for the company. Fred? Thank you, Chris. And thank you all for listening to our opening remarks. We want to once again thank you and thank all of our investors for their continued trust and support. I would now like, I would now like to open it up for questions. Anita? Thank you, sir. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach your equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. And we'll take our first question from Rebecca Wang from SVD Leering. Hi, guys. Hi, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes, Rebecca, I can hear you. Yes, thank you. Hi, um, yeah, this is Rebecca, um, for getting me on topic at SVD Rearing. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Uh, can you guys just give a little bit more color on the, um, potential options for reducer? Is that this like FDA will require a randomized controlled trial to address those 
um, those concerns raised by the FDA panel. Um, I don't know how um, do how should we think about your options and potential strategies going forward. Um, and I appreciate that you have enough capital until March 2021, but we're definitely spending um, and reduce the revenue in Europe. How, how should we think about the leverage you can hold to save money and to advance some of those uh, pipeline products? Thank you very much. Yes, hi, Rebecca. So uh, thanks for that question. So uh, as I said on the call, we now first have to await FDA's decision on the PNA. That is the first thing that needs to happen, and we have to await FDA's decision. And then um, um, after that, we will see uh, what we uh, might be able to do uh, in potential further discussions with the FDA or not. I can assure you that we are looking at all available clinical regulatory options as well as all options available to the company in its totality. Uh, the other thing that I would like to point out is that, um, as you know, the company has two assets, the reducer and the mm -hmm. uh, and that in itself gives us always an advantage um, so that, you know, we have one and the other in the pipeline. We are continuing to see a great progress with the reducer um, in Europe. Uh, as we reported, uh, we saw big growth in the third quarter uh, where there was a little bit of a lift up uh, from the uh, virus pandemic. Uh, unfortunately, Q4, we believe, is going to be more impacted again. But we certainly see the underlying strength uh, of the demand for the reducer product in Europe which by now is really driven for the most part by physicians' own experience with the device mm -hmm. with their own patient population. Um, so we have that. On top of that, we have the continued development activities on the Chera side, uh, both for the transapical as well as for the transfemoral program, as I alluded to in my script. So mm -hmm. we will continue to look at all options and how we move forward as a company we certainly will also look at additional financing opportunities between now and March, uh, mm -hmm. and we look confidently into the future. Although, obviously, uh, you know, this was uh, and has been a setback for us, uh, mm -hmm. and we uh, will have to move forward from here, and we believe there are still uh, good opportunities for us uh, to move forward, uh, and we will and we are working on all available options to the company. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now we take our next question from Ahu from Noble Capital Market. Please go ahead. Thank you very much for taking my question. Hello, Chris and Fred. Uh, so I would also uh, talk, I would like to ask my first question regarding the FCS panel. Were there any case key points that actually uh, change your strategies for reducing post-market clinical trials, and what does the timeline look like? I know you mentioned you'll give detailed information later on, but I was just curious. Any of the points that actually prolong the timeline, the uh, extent of the clinical trial, or any any other aspect of the clinical trial? Yes, um, as, as I said before, you know, obviously we are uh, disappointed in the outcome of the panel meeting. 
we believe that the clinical data that we presented, and, and, and I would say the totality of the clinical data we presented, um, would indeed support the position that we had that reducer uh, has a reasonable assurance of safety and effort, effectiveness. That combined with uh, the very specific guidance, documentation, and guidelines that I went through in detail on my script uh, is why we believe uh, we have uh, an opportunity to present this data and for all this data to be carefully uh, reviewed. Unfortunately, that, that did not turn out to be uh, very positive as it relates to the efficacy side. I do want to point out that the panel clearly voted for the safety of the reducer. Uh, and uh, it is actually, uh, we actually struggle mostly with the fact that because the reducer was um, uh, voted uh, for as safe by the panel, that not more panel members therefore uh, gave it a positive not as a way to uh, benefit over risk. Um, however, it is what it is, uh, and uh, we are accepting the outcome of the panel meeting. Uh, but we now have to await. FDA's decision, uh, and that needs to come first, uh, and I would not like to speculate on anything beyond that. Uh, we will see what FDA says, and then we will see what we do from there on on the clinical regulatory pathway for uh, reducers. As a company, though, we are also, in the meantime, already working on all the available options we have available to us uh, to continue to move forward. Thank you, Fred. And can you also elaborate on the timeline when you might hear from FDA and when you might disclose the details about the post-market clinical studies? So on timelines, I mean, typically the FDA takes another three to five months or so after a panel meeting to finalize their process. Um, you know, that's just based on general observations um, and to um, um, history. So we'll have to wait and see when that comes, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next few months. Uh, I think that's probably how I can best answer the question. Okay, thanks, Brenda. My last question will be on Tiara. I know we expect some delays due to Corona, of course, but I was curious, do you plan to move five? Any other strategies you Plenty to again the second lockdown in major places, Germany, France. Do you plan to implement any additional uh, strategies to maybe uh, speed up the process a little bit or not? You talk about Chera now. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So on on Chera, we are going through a very um, um, lengthy and very detailed process for the transapical Chera device in, term, in terms of the, the CE marking process. So uh, we are working with the notified body. We have uh, filed the original application for a CE mark approval for the transapical Chera device. Uh, and uh, we are in continuous and constant contact with the, the European notified body. Uh, we have received a lot of questions. We've answered a huge amount of questions. We've submitted a lot of additional data. Uh, and uh, we continue to do so. We are not quite through the entire process yet. Uh, there are still more questions that we expect, and there are still more uh, uh, answers to be given and data to be, to be submitted. 
And as we have stated before, we anticipate a decision uh, by the European notified body on a potential uh, CEMARC approval for the transapical chair device sometime in the first half of 2021. And as it relates to the transfemoral chair program, uh, during Q4, we expect some critical animal implants to be, uh, to be done. Uh, if those goals go well, uh, then we would uh, be able to set ourselves up for a first human implant sometime in the first half of 2021 as well. Uh, so those are the key milestones that we have uh, ahead of us on the CHERA program, and I think those are actually quite encouraging. Um, noted is that uh, our financing runs through the first quarter of next year, uh, and we are certainly also looking at uh, any potential options uh, to extend the financing for at least another three months beyond that. Okay, thank you very much, Fred. You share your disappointment. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ahu. Appreciate it. Thank you. And now we take a next question from Vernon Bernardino from H.C. Wainwright. Hi, everyone. Um, share the disappointment also. Um, um, but I do think that the uh, reducer um, um, from the data and use in Europe um, is a uh, promising and should be used device. Um, so regarding the reducer revenue in Europe, um, how much would um, be needed to conduct a clinical trial of adequate size uh, in the United States should you have to do another one? Uh, well, um, you know, we have stated before that we believe uh, such trial would be in the range of about $20 million. Uh, we stated that earlier. Um, however, Vernon, I think it's too early to talk about that at this point in time. Uh, we just uh, need to uh, await FDA's decision on the PMA, and then uh, in the meantime, we are continuing to make more progress in all the different options that we have as a company. Uh, we are looking at all the potential possibilities as a company. What is the, what is the best path moving forward uh, in many different ways? Uh, that is uh, clinical regulatory wise, and certainly also as as a company overall. So um, that's all being looked at. Uh, in the meantime, we'll wait for um, FDA's uh, decision on the reducer, uh, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. And once we get to that point, and once we have more updates on all the different options that we that we might have and that we're working on, uh, we'll certainly update um, everyone. Okay, that makes sense. Um, it's terrible that you and other companies have to go through this uh, environment. Uh, what are you seeing as far as how elective procedures are being done in Europe? Um, do they just continue and just have more activity or hospitals again swamped by treating COVID-19 cases and um, a lot of is taken up that would have been useful for procedures uh, in, in treating a patient. It's really crazy out there. Yes. Yes, right. So so in the third quarter, uh, we actually had uh, uh, the headwind of, of still, uh, let's call it some lower-level COVID pandemic issues uh, where um, hospital providers and physicians were busy with, with COVID patients. And we nevertheless, uh, you know, uh, had a very strong Q3 quarter with, with big growth 
uh, on the revenue side and even bigger growth on the on the implantation side. And in particular, in Germany, as I said before, we had a 100% growth quarter over quarter um, in terms of implants in Germany, which is, uh, no, I should say not Germany, but I should say Dutch, that Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, although Germany was the biggest uh, contributor in that. Um, so that is very encouraging. And, and, and in going into Q4, uh, I'm sure you have heard that there are major clear-ups in Europe uh, and in all the European markets. Uh, of the uh, of the COVID virus um, and and you know uh, quite a few lockdowns again in, in many countries at least through the beginning of December, which is why we said we are seeing an impact to our business because the hospitals are again very busy with COVID patients. Um, but we also see that the underlying demand uh, and growth of the therapy is there, so we already have a list of patients. That uh, that want to get the reducer uh, and where the procedure has been postponed, um, as we have seen before in the second quarter as well. So we we clearly see an impact in Q4. Uh, we see strong demand. Um, we can even say that if it wouldn't have been for the pandemic in Europe, uh, we believe we would indeed be on our Q4 plan. Um, but that is not going to be the case because the pandemic really. Uh, came back rather strongly in many European countries. So there is quite a bit of an impact at the moment. So we have seen and we still continue to see uh, strong underlying growth in demand for the therapy. Great. So uh, I, I guess perhaps we could see that um, at some point um, um, in uh, 2021, a return to um, growth. Uh, and momentum because uh, uh, looks like um, the, uh, the the benefit and the impact and improvement in lives um, um, is uh, uh, already recognized. It's just you know the hospitals are just really um, are not able to do as much as they can, uh, which is crazy because uh, you know these all lead to excess tests uh, um, at some point. Uh, regarding the the adcom and reducer safety. Um, you know, the, the, the vote on the safety is uh, very intriguing to me. Um, but then at the same time, you know, with the vote, uh, and perhaps, you know, what leads me to uh, think about is also the uh, abstentions. Um, if, was it just uh, the amount of data that did not lead enough to conclusion of benefit uh, over safety, or it, um, they did not believe enough? In the benefits, so that they conclude that there was enough benefit over uh, in um, in terms of safety and risk. Well, so so first of all, to be very clear, uh, the panel uh, did, uh, I would say, pretty clearly vote uh, in favor of safety of the reducer device. Right. Uh, I think that is the first thing that should be should be uh, clarified. Um, as it relates to efficacy and and uh, uh, benefit over risk. Um, I, I think there are two major factors that, I, as I went through in my script, um, one is that um, the panel unfortunately did not really uh, look at the totality of the data that we submitted. Uh, we submitted a very strong uh, data on 200 patients uh, from our postmark reducer one study. We submitted many independent uh, investigator studies that have been published which are all very consistent 
with the efficacy that was demonstrated in the Coursera trial. Um, and I think the other factor was that um, there was very little discussion about the, the nature of the breakthrough device. And that is why I went uh, in detail through the different uh, guidelines from the FDA for breakthrough devices uh, and the importance of the opportunity for post-market collection. And so, as I said, we, we did uh, propose to do a robust post-market study as part of this PMA uh, submission. And I think that was uh, the discussion around the different aspects of the guidelines and the possibility of the FDA to put more emphasis on the post-market study, I think, was another thing that uh, wasn't really put in the forefront uh, at this panel meeting. So th I think those are the key factors, and I pretty much alluded to that in my script or not. Okay, yes, it's, it's, it was uh, quite a bit to get through the, uh, the, the guidance. Um, obviously, there's a lot there as far as what the FDA presented. And... Um, so it just looks to me, uh, would you uh, agree that, um, um, and that's why you are definitely waiting for the FDA's decision, um, because there's still a chance that um, they could ignore, or, or is there a small, only a very small chance or no chance that they could ignore the, um, the efficacy of decision and you could still get approval for reducer? Or you're just really saying that um, you don't expect and that's the safe way to go. Well, I already stated that before, that given where we are now and this uh, outcome of the panel meeting, we are much less, uh, you know, positive on uh, on an uh, FDA approval. I already stated that before. We were originally right. before the panel meeting, but uh, given what happened at the panel meeting, we are we are uh, we basically are saying we're not really counting uh, on a uh, on an FDA approval. But again, I don't really want to speculate. Uh, we just have to wait and see what the FDA is going to say. Okay. Um, I am rooting for you um, on the sidelines. Thank you for taking my questions. I appreciate the additional detail and clarification. Thank you so much, Rona. Thank you. In the interest of time, this will conclude today's Q&A session, and this concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.